0: you're listening to an imagine more podcast the presentation you're about to hear was recorded as part of the 2021 get that good life conference we split this session into four parts this is part three Okay, so I'm going to quickly go through some strategies that are powerful in this role. And again, you're going to have to just really forgive me for brevity. The first uh, is this idea of um, a strategy that brings about roles, relationship and places of belonging in people's lives. And I call it uh, building a context uh, for relationship. And it's a really powerful and strategic tool to use your time wisely. And so essentially... This is kind of what your plan looks like when it's done and it's based on five elements. And in each of the elements, there's some nuances and there's some things we get wrong all of the time. But in essence, you want to make sure that you are thinking about something that is truly of interest to the person. And it's, uh, as I said before, it's not mom's and dad's interest. It's not the supporter's interest, but really something that really tweaks the person. If you don't yet know what that is, you need to go out and figure it out. And then you want to ask the question that uh, is so powerful and say, so where are the other people in Canberra who enjoy knitting, who enjoy singing, who enjoy um, gardening, who enjoy rugby? So you go from the interests of the person to where are the people who share that interest in, their, in our community? And what are the places that they're at? And we're particularly looking for places that are not places where there are groupings of people with disability so this is really one person at a time work and more and more we're kind of naming things in community that really aren't typical community uh, we might say that uh, a class takes place um, in a community center um, and yes it's a yoga class just for people with disabilities but it's really in community um that's not what i'm talking about i call that goldfish bowl integration um, you know, if people can see in and if people can see out, but they're never, never going to meet. I'm talking about ordinary community spaces where there's a diversity of pe- people and uh, not a whole lot of other people with disabilities because when people in communities see two or three people with disabilities together, they see the disabilities rather than all of the things that they may have in common with those people. And you want to um, stop that from happening and help them Certainly, they'll see a disability, but with good support, they'll also see a keenness around race cars, uh, a keenness around um, sports, uh, a super interest in learning how to knit. And those are the spaces that uh, people uh, will start to um, see the person in a more full kind of way. And that's where relationship may be built. So you've got the interests of the person, you've got where are the people who share that interest in co- community. Which of those places then can a person get? to on a frequent and regular basis so we want places where people can go back again and again and again and that's simply because that will bring about familiarity for both parties so people who haven't met someone before who doesn't use words to speak can get some time uh, maybe from a distance and then closer and closer getting to know that person and so that uh, the better you know someone, the more fully you know them, the more likely there will be some degree of relationship. So what we're looking for are places in community where you can be there frequently and regularly rather than just dropping in once a year or once a month or whatever. Thirdly, we're looking uh, to develop and design situations where uh, the person has a role that's stronger than just being a spectator. So often people are brought to places, to environmental events and musical events and art events and what they are they're the spectators walking around that is the least engaged way of belonging that we can imagine and we need to imagine differently so we need to figure out how do we think about the interests of the person and imagine who they could be and so what we want to make sure is that people have a way of um contributing so they're in the place they have a role where they make a contribution so then instead of just attending the music festival Uh, They might be someone who helps organize the parking or or direct the parking at the music festival. They might be someone who helped in the volunteer test. They might be a volunteer coordinator at the music festival. And all of this demands a level of contribution for for the person, but it also means that they're then involved with other people on the other hand. And of course, that's essential for a relationship to happen. And then lastly, there has to be other people around. And so often... The presence of paid support actually slices people off from the other people around, especially when the supporter isn't conscious of this. So this little schemata um, helps us think about how do we design opportunities where relationship is more likely to happen? Again, that was like really, really fast. I'm just going to give you a a quick go round once one more time with John. um, And let me just say he's a huge, huge ice hockey fan. And we came to a time in his life where he needed a new work role, and we decided we needed to start uh, with what we know uh, works best and, and, and kind of follow this uh, strategy a little bit more closely. So we actually started with the thing he loved the most, which was ice hockey. And um, we thought about where were the places in community that people who loved ice hockey could work in a paid role. We thought of about eight or ten different places in our community and landed on the ice hockey um, arena. There were two of them in community, and we actually ended up getting him two part-time roles, uh, two days each, in in each of those. And it was a place in community where, uh, you know, very diverse uh, people gathered, where their workforce was typical. Uh, working folks. And um, he could be there on a frequented regular basis because um, it was a job. And the role that he had was a maintenance uh, person, a junior maintenance person, because he was just starting out. And in uh, that, he he made a huge contribution. Not only in terms of as at doing the work that he was paid to do, but as he got to know people, they got got to know that he had a huge head for statistics for the local, um, the Toronto Maple Leaf hockey team, which is beloved or not by many. And uh, so he was a, a source of, of great uh, information. People loved came to love to talk to him. So he had many good, solid work role and, and lots of contributions. And um you know, the way things go, some things you have to work at harder than others. Uh, we realized the people aspect of this job was the hardest um uh criteria to meet, the hardest element to kind of get in place. Yes, there were other people working, yes, he had a supervisor, but it's a huge arena. He would often be fixing chairs and benches or um, cleaning something or getting something ready in a totally different part of the building. So we had to be super strategic around making sure that his supervisor came and checked on him. And whenever he checked on him, he brought him to another group of guys for break time. And that's how they started to get to know him. And through this, his supervisor got to know him and really enjoyed spending time with him, taught him some new things because he liked to have him work on his crew. And um, that relationship really developed. It developed to the point that when that, uh, the one of those two arenas closed down a couple of years ago, the manager, the, his supervisor went over to the other arena and secured the job for, uh, two more days of the week. So John still continued to work for four days of the week. I just have this up quickly to say, uh, you can be very, very creative in answering who are the people in this area who shared this interest. And for Tiffany, it was, you know, who are the people, um, who showed this interest in art and what are the roles they hold? And we have many, many roles to draw from. And at one space in time, I mean, this interest in art led to her being an artist, an art student, a painting group member, um, an art card promoter, promote her own, uh, her own cards, <laughs> and an art gallery volunteer, an art guild member, an art exhibitor, and a finalist in art competitions. Um, among some other roles uh, as well. And so this idea of thinking in terms of interests and then roles that come from those interests is very, very powerful. And in all of these places, she is meeting uh, different people and sometimes the same people and any number of relationships have developed as a result. Another strategy is um, helping people, especially in that last piece of the BCR strategy, which is getting the people involved is encouraging the supporter to think in triangles instead of having a linear relationship just with that person and being off in a corner while volunteering, figure out ways to invite in a third person. And that could look like um, inviting a person uh, to a common interest in conversation for people who are good conversation starters. If you're at an event helping set up, um, invite someone to give you a hand. Um, If you're somewhere and someone's already doing something, ask if you can join in and give a hand. Um, Ask to be assigned volunteer tasks only to assist another person. So there's automatically a third person. Offer to give someone a ride for your weekly grocery shopping or to a community events that everyone seems to be going for. Um, Ask for a ride or... Uh, figure out ways to share, bring in a coffee for someone when you're um, working together on a project, um, or think about baking and bringing it to people. These are all ways of, instead of just um, the supporter and the person um, having that relationship, but the bringing in a third party. So we often kind of make these mistakes. Just the other day, someone came to me with great excitement, and she said that her son they went off as a family to Florida every year, and this year, you know the, the supporter came to them and said, "You know, this is you know such an interest, but you know, to give you guys all a real break, um your son as well as as you, what what if I just went with them this year?" And that family were totally delighted and and they said, "Oh, this is so cool." Like Janet, why aren't you so excited?" <laughs> I had to find a way to say, okay, that's that's great. but is there a way to build relationship into this?" Can you imagine what if, this is a man with lots and lots of cousins and family members in his life, if instead of the paid supporter, what if it was two of his male cousins and you paid instead of support hours, you paid two tickets in the room you were going to pay anyways, right? Um, that would be bringing a, a much greater degree of relationship in his life. And so this is a supporter who's keen and excited and, and really wanting to make a difference hasn't been taught about that triangle and how vital that is, right? And so we need to kind of think about that and what that would bring to people's lives. Another significant, um it's a strategy, it's a mindset, it's a, an awareness that we need to help support people develop at all times is this idea of what are you putting into the hearts and minds of other people. Every moment you are giving a message of one kind of another and we have to think about what do we want to convey and the reason that this is so important is that um you know we're always judging people really really quickly and we do this in shorthand we judge why how people are dressed and how they talk to each other and uh, what roles they seem to hold we decide that this person is knowable likable and like me or they're quite quite different for me and has nothing to do with me and i seem to be that bridge to relationship connection community we have to help other people see what they don't see off the bat that this person has many things in common is very much like you has a sense of humor just like yours and uh, you could get to know them and uh, so we need to think about what are all of the ways that we um, are always putting ideas into the hearts and minds of other people That includes what's being put by the family into the heart and mind of the supporter. What's being put into the mind of the family about new possibilities and new excitement about their family member by the supporter. And what's being put in the mind of the person with a disability themselves in terms of what's expected in their life, what they can um, enjoy and take part of. So there's lots more to think about this, but just think about that we are never not influencing the ideas that people have about this person. And so uh, the supporter and your paid time, as well as your other time, but really in your paid time, you're always on. You're always giving some kind of message. And I think this is a very exciting and almost a a social justice element of the work of uh, paid support, actually. Um, because I think it's not that we're, um, Uh, very much we're not faking we're not telling people um untruths about this person this needs to be as genuine as we can possibly make it but the mindset that i have is that there are things about this person you don't yet know and when you know these things you will get to know them a little bit better and you'll begin to see how cool this person is and how they have things that will add to your life and i think that's life-changing and very exciting part of the work and so the messages are in, conveyed in, in lots of different ways, and they are um, made through uh, language. Um, if I hear one more supporter calling a person with a disability, especially a male, um, Buddy, uh, you know, the minute someone says, hey, Buddy, it's saying, Buddy, come on over here, instead of the person's name, I know it's a person with a disability, even if I'm looking at them from the back, right? It's just one of those things that, uh, you know, conveys so much in just a word. Um, sometimes it's the tone. I can tell often um, a paid support person from a mile away, they talk a little louder, they make everyone know that they're not the person with the disability, but they're taking care of this issue over here. Tone is so important. What they call themselves, if your supporter calls you themselves anything but by their first name, um, who does that help, right? You just really want to put a positive attention onto the person you're with. And so language is really, really important. And part of language is introductions. Um, we don't need to be introducing people by their labels. It is absolutely not necessary. We may need to give some indication of some function differences. You know, we might need to say, you know, Tiffany isn't going to say uh, good morning, but she would love to take your hand, right? We can give uh, indications, but we don't need to kind of... Uh, gives the reason why she is not able to speak in words uh, messages are conveyed by physicality um, where do you stand how do you move uh, so again the image that i have in my mind is when a paid support person or quite frankly family members you know walk along the sidewalk and they're literally dragging an adult or a young person even um, behind them and you know That this person who looks to be adult size and whatnot is not in charge of their own life. And how odd and different is that? There must be something wrong, right? So we're giving messages to other people. Watch out. Be careful. This has nothing to do with you. Move back. Appearances, just general grooming and physical appearances are really, really important. And uh, you want to kind of appear in positive ways that the setting calls for. And if anything, you kind of bend over backwards a little bit to look just on the upscale end of it. And that's both parties, the person with a disability and the support people. And so um, families that I've worked with over time, they've kind of had codes, just dress codes, like how short do shorts get to have? When do you wear shorts? When do you wear other attire? There's a, an art event happening. How will people be dressed? How will Tiffany be dressed? What about the supporter going with her? Messages are conveyed, as I said before, in groupings. So if it's two or three people with a disability together, particularly when they're with an obvious support person, then, you know, we really are giving the message, um, even without intending to, that this is a group of people, they have lots in common, they have a support, a person who knows what they're doing, you can step back and let this be, this has nothing to do with you. When actually, you know, people are dying for some degree of relationship and connection with people in that surrounding. And so we have to think about how messages are conveyed. And some of the things that we can think about is, you know, where do you walk? And, you know, once people reach a certain age, do we have to use those diminutive names like Susie and Ronnie? Or could we move to Sue and Ron, for example? Do we need to correct people or admonish them publicly? You know, that demeans someone who already is at risk of being seen as not having a voice or not being, you know, kind of equal in their opinion. Uh, calling the person client is another huge uh, kind of thing. I kind of think unless you're a client of a hairdresser or a lawyer, um, a human service client has a whole other connotation. So I'm not sure in Australia, but around um, uh, Canada and the United States, you know, a, a professional direct support person will often talk about the clients that they have, right? And that's not a positive term. It was meant originally to convey some kind of a positive identity. Um, but it's better to say, this is this is John that I spend some time with. I assist John, you know, to get to his violin lesson uh, so that he could be a part of the symphony orchestra. Did you know that, right? Way more important than um, helping people to see. Because what you're saying is, uh, let's just pay attention, I'm not the disabled person here, um, he is, I'm the person who works for him, and it's just so many levels of negative and devaluing messaging that we don't intend to to do, so we need to rethink that. Telling people what they uh, can't do is often not important, and some of those other things I've said already. And so often what we're called to do as well, um, just one last story, and is about um, putting, um, positive ideas in the eyes of, of other people. And sometimes that means a, a positive, um, interpretation of behavior or of an incident that could be hard for people to understand. And so I think about, uh, years and years ago, uh, Jonathan, I uh, was a young man that we supported, loved cassette tapes. That's how long ago this was. And I, I went to the local library all the time looking for, um, specific music tapes that he was fond of. And, you know, he's at the library. He's a man who doesn't speak in words. And when he found a tape he loved, he'd go, ah, and he'd, uh, you know, vocalize loudly. And people around, he uh, looked a little different, sounded a little different, maybe moved a little differently. People were immediately, you know, on edge and you could see the librarian kind of cringe and you can see the security person kind of thinking, am I needed here? And you can Um, see people with young kids kind of just paying attention in case they needed to do something right and uh, the, the first time i saw it happen i saw that the support person he was with kind of projected in a fairly loud voice for a library she said oh jonathan you found the tape that you were looking for you sound really happy about that and what she was doing was an absolutely beautiful positive interpretation of a set of behaviors that were causing people concern. And what she was saying is, hey, folks, this is Jonathan. He obviously has great fondness for certain kind of tapes. He's just found one, and this is his happy sound, right? And so it was such a wonderful way. And what I have imagined over time is that's the first time it happened. Uh, Knowing Jonathan, this happened and would happen regularly and frequently. As long as he would keep going to that library, he was going to have these moments and Um more and more, uh, probably as long as that support person kept saying similar kinds of things, you know, by the fifth time or so, the librarian would probably just say to someone at the desk, oh, don't worry, that's Jonathan, he's just found a tape. And by the 10th time, the security guard would hardly be raising an an eyebrow. And by the 12th time, a mom with a little kid might come by and say, oh, that's Jonathan, he's just found something he's looking for totally understandable to the kid and maybe by the 20th time or something like that um some young dude would come across and say oh is this the kind of cassette you're looking for jonathan even before he called out right so that positive interpretation tells everyone this is jonathan he is doing what we all do happy when we found something we're looking for he is knowable he can be familiar he is someone that you could be connected with even in the most casual ways and that changed that library into a place of belonging for Jonathan. And that's all to do with influencing what you're putting into the hearts and minds of other people. Okay, so on to you. I want you to think about what are you putting into the minds of other people? What do you want to show people and what do you want to avoid? Um, and where do you think you might be um stepping over the line or um haven't thought about? You know, is it... Uh, you know, when you're in a rush and where where you walk, is it in in teaching people exactly how the person is best supported and and walking? Uh, Lots of people, when they go back to the same places again and again and again, uh, don't need to be behind you anymore. Don't need to be even encouraged. You could simply open the car door and they might be slower getting out and looking around and getting their bearings and finally making their way. And you can be fidgeting in the car. You could be you know, um, getting the strap of your purse right, all of which indicates to the rest of the world, uh, this young man's just gotten on the car. He darn well knows where he's going. And, uh, you know, he is able to kind of figure that out. And she's just given a ride here and she might assist in some other way, but it's certainly not getting into the building. Right? So, really, really powerful. So, I don't know if people have any ideas of, what do you think about when you are putting, or, or or, is this an idea that you hadn't thought about, that every one of your vocal, your, your, what you're telling people, um, how you're showing up in public with your son or daughter, with the person you support, is actually uh, putting ideas into the minds of other people. Okay, the last theme that I just want to touch on is this idea of a shared uh, vigilance and And that is that you need to talk with your team. So these are the themes that are helping you to think about building a powerhouse team. And and that is you need to be vigilant around a number of things. And one is, you know, you need to be noticing all of the time, always asking, you know, what interest does she have? How does she tell me that? What's next? Who's interested in her? How do I follow up? Uh, What can she bring contribute? And it's this you know, you're looking perfectly calm, but your mind is racing because you're ever vigilant around not missing an opportunity and trying to build on the next and the next one. So that's the one thing that you're vigilant about. And then you share this with the family. The family has an opportunity. They share it back with the supporter. And that kind of communication means that when you're about building those VR situations, you've got some common experiences to start with from the get-go. The second thing is you have a shared vigilance around what are you putting into the minds of other people, which is what we've just covered. And the last one is this shared vigilance of am I on the right uh, path? And so what I often use to figure out if I'm on the right path is going right back to this slide, which is almost exactly as you've seen it before. If you're on the right path, you're able to check off some of these things, which is, uh, is the person... Uh, at least partly or through my efforts as a paid supporter becoming someone holding a role in their life in their community are they present and welcome more often than before are they um in typical family neighborhood and community uh, life and settings and holding those roles at least more than they were before are they there in ways that um in all of the life areas, home and work and recreation and relationship and, and civic and spiritual kinds of areas, are they in all of those places? And which are most important right now? And are we making some progress there? And while they're there, are they simply spectators, which is the lightest way to be present? Or are they present in some kind of a deeper way that gives them purpose and positive identity and perhaps even new opportunities for growth and connection? you know, are we making some headway there? And are we beginning to notice where people are interested in them, where we expect them to have relationships in places that they go to again and again, and then even some friendships that can grow uh the building together of shared interests and paying attention to those shared interests. And when those relationships, uh, when we notice someone is a least bit Um, interested do we know how to nourish and nurture and encourage um, that relationship or do we expect it just to continue all on its own and so this I find is equally good as a vision as it is uh, to check on see how we're doing from time to time and it's really a rich conversation with support people to say you know how are we doing on this and the other thing that I use sometimes for kind of saying how we were doing is, a, is something I call five essential questions. And these are just really another way of keeping track. Um, and they're really good questions to ask, uh, particularly at the outset of um, a new venture, and just really kind of uh, knocking and testing it for, is it as good as it can be? And these are the places that we sometimes go wrong. Um, so is this a real thing, or just pretend, or just good enough? And and, uh, you know, this really avoids you wasting your precious time on things that are mediocre and really going for high quality things. But, you know, if uh, it's decided that this person um, is going to make cards and they have a small card making business, um, are they poor quality cards? Are you using, you know, poor paper? Is it messily done uh, so that it looks like um, a craft rather than a beautifully uh, given card? And the same with baking it is something put together in a really um, uh, sloppy or difficult way so that it wouldn't be a valued offering by other people. And sometimes, you know, people go, well, it's a person with a disability, that's just good enough. You know, that's her baking, that's good enough. But in fact, we have many baking techniques that can find recipes for people to put together things that are absolutely delicious and look gorgeous and would be a real gift. We have ways of pulling together card making supplies that put together stunning cards even when people uh, don't have a lot of dexterity. I know a grandmother that found one of these, um, a, a little machine. She put high quality paper through her grandson, uh, kind of turned the crank and out of the an embossed card it was this beautiful embossed card and then he chose where to put some glitter and sprinkles on it to make an absolutely gorgeous card when i don't know how much um uh, dexterity and talent he would have had with the details right and that's paying attention to we really want something of quality right at the start rather than something that's just good enough and that's the same with dressing poorly for a family event where everyone else is getting dressed up and saying, oh, well, that's him. Or uh, doing tasks on a volunteer job that aren't really needed to be doing instead of doing something that's really, really value- valuable. And so uh, that first question is helpful in, in that sense. Um, secondly, is this real community or a community of people with disability? And uh, really, so much these days... Um, ends up being a disguised community because um, uh, things are getting better and better with their language um, and they're disguising what it really is and we've just got to learn to look really really carefully and so a disability art class in a gallery it's not a a place in community where you're going to make connections and uh, relationships that will grow out you know you've got just uh, the people right there. It's really no different than the disability art class in a disability center, right? So we just avoid those kinds of things and look for real, real places of community. We have to look a bit harder, but we find some absolute gems. Uh, recently, I got to, you know, there's a local singer who's got a beautiful, beautiful voice and offered to come and sing you know, um, to people individually. But then I found out that he only sent the advertisement to agencies for people with a disability, thought that was a little niche market that he would start. So I get kind of highly suspicious of anything that's special, right? Three is a situation really planned around those five BCR factors for success. You know, if we really paid attention to each of them, because we can slip on each one, and that has consequences but they're fairly easy to correct and so we need to learn how to do that um is there a potential for growth and contribution in this opportunity you know is it um, only a spectator role is that the only thing that you can do with this place you know um or, or are there many many other things and we have to learn to see what's possible in um those places and look for something that has got some growth to it and we uh, need to plan for connection from the very beginning. And the first part we have to see is that um, other people will benefit in a relationship with this person. Not everyone, because we don't all connect with each other in beneficial ways. But there are many, many people who could really um, enjoy this person's um sense of humor benefit from the art that they provide uh be totally de- delighted for um having a very very uh a lovely one-on-one friendship and getting together uh, to read together once a week or play some guitar together right so uh i think that uh, we have to expect it in the first place and then we have to really pay attention to nurturing that and that is very much of the bridging role. In that role of fridge, um, all of these things are relevant. A great conversation to sit with your team members and say, are we on the same page here? Are we looking at things in the same way? And that really does build um, that powerhouse team. You've been listening to an Imagine More podcast. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to review us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and go to imaginemore.org.au for more great content.